0: I'm Dapper Dan Kvostin, and uh, like always, I'm the founder and editor of Superiorspidertalk.com.
2: And I'm mischievous Marcinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog, and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Not a best-selling book, Dan. Really? No, but it's best-selling in my heart.
0: That's good to hear. (laughs) Well, uh, I love it too. Anyway... uh, Thanks, everyone, for joining us for the 11th episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture.
2: Yeah, Dan, and for this first season of all-new Amazing Spider Talk, we've been taking a closer look at the Stan Lee and Steve Dicko creative run of the title Last time out, we talked about all the major stories that have been remixed for the origin story of Spider-Man. But this week, we're going to go back to a different direction, and we're going to talk about the story that ended Go and Lee's run on the book and inspired countless additional stories. Yes, we're talking about the mystery of the Green Goblin's identity.
0: And, and more specifically than just the identity, we're talking about that mystery itself. The lead-up to the reveal how have mysteries become an integral part of Spider-Man? And for that, we're going to be talking about the entire Steve Dicko and Stan Lee run on the book, but most specifically, Amazing Spider-Man numbers 14, 17, 23, 25 to 26, and 37, which is the first appearance of the name of Norman Osborn, if you really want to count that as a significant milestone in this saga which i guess it is mark
2: i would agree and dicko despite all the speculation of the contrary would ultimately say he would agree too i think
0: i think so so let's get right into it our green goblin mystery episode
1: trying to show how strange events can affect people and, and how sometimes people act in an irrational way and the most important thing to us in our stories is to give you, the reader, a whole group of characters who all act differently just the way in real life you take a lot of people and no two of them will ever act the same. And that's why we have a Norman Osborn, who's a wealthy, successful businessman, but he still has, has a screw loose up here somehow. And, and his son, who really isn't as bad as Norman, but wants so badly to impress his father that he goes off the deep end And he's willing to do something bad to impress his father, which, of course, he should not do. And we hope that it's obvious to the viewer that these are people who are somewhat mentally disturbed. And they're certainly not characters to emulate or to imitate.
2: I thought I would lead the uh, listeners in with a little bit of uh, history and context for what was going on here in um, Amazing Spider Man at the time that the Green Goblin was introduced in Amazing Spider Man number 14. Of course, uh, all you out there who have your copies of 100 Things uh, Spider Man Fashion Known Do Before They Die, there is a whole chapter dedicated to the Green Goblin mystery. So, uh, you know, for the Cliff Notes version, you can reference that, right, Dan? Absolutely. Uh, this, <laughs> that, plug the
0: best selling
2: novel. The, the best selling novel. Um, but uh, as we've talked about um, a couple times over the course of the season, um, actually, the original Stanley pitch for The Green Goblin when he was conjuring up the villain was that he wanted uh, a movie crew to accidentally discover a reanimated uh, sarcophagus. <laughs> so, kind of like an mis- uh, ancient mystical demon uh dicko who always kind of advocated for you know keeping things grounded in reality when it came to spider-man uh thought it was absurd and instead kind of countered with well what if we did a mystery angle that you know a long-running mystery villain uh that we would kind of drop clues and whatnot over the course of many issues before revealing him as somebody
0: now did this predate the crime master
2: it did predate the crime master
0: so, there you go. the first real mystery in this series,
2: yeah, the first true mystery and and it was supposed to be a mystery, and I don't know if they had ever truly agreed upon when the mystery was going to be um revealed, but it you know it was by design going to be a long simmering you know uh mystery angle with red herrings and you know, so you know. We've seen this a lot of times in, in future Spider-Man stories, and we'll talk about that. But like what what we've seen since then, I mean, like that, like this, very intentional. That's I guess that's the 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 point here. It wasn't like they were necessarily spinning their wheels. Now, you know, you you, you read some Dicko essays, and he says he knew from the get go who he wanted it to be. Others have vehemently disagreed with that account we can can or can't get into that however you feel like talking about it Dan but just in terms of the case for who was the Green Goblin I mean this character is first introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number 14 shrouded in mystery you know you see kind of see his face in shadow the whole time and then each subsequent appearance you kind of get a little bit more detail although not necessarily detail in terms of possible people he could be. Um, like, for example, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 17, the second appearance, uh, we learned that he's got this very large lair that's filled with like this very high-end, expensive, one-of-a-kind machinery and, and, and technology. So, you know, you're, you're kind of saying, all right, he's, he's an industrialist, probably, he's wealthy, um, guy's got money. You know, I, we got like scenes of him out on the street in a in a business suit and a top hat and things like that were well, not a top hat, but like a fedora. Um, so, again, like kind of painting the picture that he's like a member of the elite class.
0: My favorite that, machine that he owns is the face covering machine that always seems to be deployed at the exact right time.
2: Exactly. Because it's, it's, he's is brilliant in that regard, a brilliant industrialist. And then, like, in Amazing Spider-Man number 23, which is his third appearance, the the goblin is, like, bragging about, like, how his his ultimate goal is to take over New York's criminal underworld. So, you know, again, we don't really at this point still get a sense of, well, who could this guy be? But um, there was, like, certainly, like, the idea that this character was ambitious. He was cocky. He was arrogant. Um, and I think it was after this issue that, like, the fan speculation started to run rampant, which is what led to the Crime Master Green Goblin storyline in Amazing Spider-Man 2627. Um, I think at that point, like, there were fan letters. People thought, well, J. Jonah Jameson was a very popular fan choice for the character, which I guess would have certainly been an interesting angle, right?
0: Yeah, I'd like to see that one.
2: And... Um, the whole the whole point with the Crime Master thing, I mean, the you know that there's that great splash page of t- Amazing Spider-Man 26 where you know there's like Spider-Man sitting on the question mark with you know who who's who is it is who's the Crime Master who's the Green Goblin what's um what's his name's role in this whole thing the big man um,
0: Frederick Foswell
2: yes thank you Dan <laughs> <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm losing my Stanley alliteration. And, of course, the big joke in that story is that the Crime Master is ultimately unmasked as a nobody, which we've talked about in past episodes, and the Goblin's mystery continues. And for for all intents and purposes, that's the actual – Amazing Spider-Man 27 is the last appearance of the Green Goblin during the Lee Dicko run. You know, only to put a pin in that because uh, about ten issues later, the second-to-last issue of um, Amazing Spider-Man – uh this that Dicko had worked on, that we are introduced to Norman Osborne. And you know, just some key things about Norman Osborne was, you know, Ditko talks about, well, I, I even gave him distinct hair. So there was there's always been a, there's a reason for the hair. We finally learned <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to draw attention to the character. And he and you know the fact that he was the son of Um, Peter's classmate Harry in college he thought that you know it was a a character with a personal connection and in that issue I don't know how recently you read it Dan but I mean Norman's a bit of a creep in it and there's definitely something off and odd about him Um, and he actually did appear in the um, the first Crime Master issue but just he's unnamed at that point but the character is there
0: at like a gentleman's club
2: correct with Jameson So, you know, again, kind of placing him in that in that zone. So, again, we know that he's wealthy, elite and stuff. So, like this whole thing about, well, how well did they build this mystery? I mean, we we can we can certainly argue about that if we want to. But like certainly kind of I kind of feel like that. That second-to-last issue of Amazing Spider-Man that Roger Stern worked on during the Hobgoblin mystery, where all of a sudden, like all this like Roger Kingsley stuff started coming out of nowhere, and, like it was like, oh crap, I got to start actually like baiting the mystery here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you, you, you kind of got a sense that that was going on here with um, Amazing Spider-Man number thirty-seven and Norman Osborn, that there was kind of a, all of a sudden, this big info dump. But then Ditko famously left the book. And never did the reveal himself. That was left to John Romita uh, and Stan Lee in their first issue together, Amazing Spider-Man number 39. And, of course, who was the Green Goblin, Dan?
0: It was Norman Osborn.
2: It was the butler. No. Uh (laughs) So, you know, that's just kind of the the background of it. Again, we talked about this a lot during the Ditko uh, expose, if you will, that we did a few weeks back this kind of myth that Dicko left the book over the Green Goblin. It was, it's one of those things where I think it was, you know, Stanley had his quote unquote faulty memory came up at, at, during an interview. And then the, the, the story from there just kind of kept perpetuating. And I think even like Ramita at one point kind of spread the story a little bit, but, um, others have kind of debunked it. And Dicko himself has debunked it many times, of course, not in a, in a, true interview but instead in the essays that he writes that are available if you know to, where to look so i don't know if you want to like kind of dissect that more if you have a an opinion on that dan but i mean it, it, it still is interesting to me though to like kind of look at this and be like but how well did they actually build this mystery but also how this mystery has kind of served as a template for future mysteries in spider-man
0: yeah, I don't know if I really want to get into the whole like Stan Lee, Steve Dicko breaking up over this mystery thing. It it is kind of become like a he said, she said kind of situation where, you know, this kind of myth or you know, whether it is a myth or not grew over the years. I was just watching today the wonderful documentary uh from the BBC, uh, The Search for Steve Ditko. And in that video, even Casada admits that he's heard this myth and Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore are talking about this divide that was created by the green goblin, you know, and, and the identity. And so, you know, it's reached the upper echelon of, you know, comic creators and fans and even Marvel. So like, there's no real like way that I can say it's true or false given that, you know, the people involved themselves have said that it's false and so I don't know. It's just going to be one of those things that goes to the, the ash heap of, of history, I guess. No one's ever going to be able to definitively claim one way or the other. So yeah. that's less interesting to me than like what this story, you know, did as a template. And we had talked previously in our the bad guys episode uh, about you know the reveal of the Green Goblin and what that ultimately meant for the future of Spider-Man. That it was a Someone we knew versus someone we didn't know. And I think surprisingly you and I came down uh, and said, you know what? Actually, it's the person we didn't know that ended up being a bit more of the template for these reveals um, than the person that has been well integrated into the cast. Um, But I want to talk about like today about how the mystery serves as a storytelling technique in Spider-Man because honestly that's the more interesting thing. You know, like I – rarely end up caring about who the person is under the mask but it's the fun of the guessing that makes it really enjoyable do you agree with that
2: i do i i i i think i think that certainly there's a joy to guessing that but like there's also i think a there's a thematic kind of poetry to it too and and you know tell me if you think i'm going too far off the reservation here but you know you know one of the 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 true defining characteristics of Spider-Man as a hero is, you know, the way the character is designed and treated, you know, while, yes, we the reader know who he is under the mask, there is a mystery to him as a hero. Like it could be anybody under the mask. And that's what makes his story all the more improbable that it's this teenage, you know, wallflower. Um, who is picked on and outcast at school that ends up being this, this incredible superhero. And it's because of the, the mysterious kind of unnerving aspects of the character that he is also within the storylines always portrayed as a possible villain and a menace and, you know, cause we just don't know who he is. Not that, I mean, the Fantastic Four, their identities are always out, but I mean, secret identities for the most part in Marvel are, you know, at least during the Silver Age, most characters had secret identities. I mean, even, you know, Batman and Superman and in in the distinguished competition, they had secret identities. But the fact that Spider-Man is fully covered and like, it's just, I don't know, like there's, there's more mystery to him as a hero than I think most other heroes does that sound like a stretch
0: yeah absolutely that that sounds about right uh how how, how does that work its way into the enemies do you think
2: well i think that you know while in some semblances you know we we certainly explored this during like the the jms ramita run about like kind of the the totem the the totem qualities of heroes and villains and like you know you're you're an eight-legged animals so that you're gonna attract like-minded villains and that's all well and good but for I mean the green goblin is recognized as as Peter as spider-man's arch nemesis and and isn't there kind of a bit of symmetry to the fact that yet yeah, no the goblin is not a eight-legged uh, animal like an octopus but the character was introduced from the beginning as this kind of mystery that and not only just a mystery but like it literally could have been anyone, you know, which is again part of what makes Spider-Man so unique. It can be anyone under the mask. We like everyone was treated as a suspect, and because everyone was treated as a suspect, it really was difficult to ever truly pin down um who was there. And it probably would have been a bit of a letdown if it was someone so obvious as a J. Jonah Jameson or, you know, Flash Thompson as the Green Goblin, right? (laughs) Um, You know, it, it, there was supposed to almost be a quality of a, well, of course it wouldn't be someone that you really were suspecting. I mean, you know, we had just met Norman Osborn before the character was finally revealed, but like it's, it's not so much uh, the fact that it was that Norman Osborn became Norman Osborn, but it was that, it, again, it kind of accentuates that idea that it can be anyone. It could be someone that's close to you in a way you didn't quite realize they were close to you. So that's like the Harry connection. So, I like again, like I, I feel like in its very own roundabout way, whether they intended to or not, like the, this mystery feels very much at home in Spider-Man because it kind of ties into who Spider-Man is as a character.
0: That's really interesting. Uh, when, when we were t- discussing this topic Uh, To build on what you said, like I was thinking about other superheroes who, you know, might use the mystery element. And I was thinking about Batman, you know, the self-professed detective in detective comics and how very few of his villains are actually mystery characters. I can think of like the biggest one perhaps being like Hush and that big story around who is Hush and the mystery of Hush. Um, But so many of the characters are 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 known for their kind of, you know, uh, uh, alternate identities from the get go. Even even the Riddler, you know, Enigma, we know him, you know, uh, right straight away, you know. And that's funny to me that he as a detective character doesn't really rely on this trip too much other than maybe that hush storyline and and I guess a few of his kind of like, you know, stories where it's like, okay, there's a big bad behind all of these people that are attacking me. Who is it? But it's not very often like a who is the guy behind the mask mystery, which is what we get in Spider-Man. And, right. But Spider-Man himself is not a detective character. And it got me thinking about how these stories were told. And very um, infrequently is Spider-Man actually – interested in the mystery he's never really trying to discover who the person in the mask is it's really the audience that is wondering that you know i guess spider-man might wonder who the green goblin is but the tease is really for the audience you you know what i mean um yeah spider-man is so often just trying to stop them but there's never detective work being done by him and I, i find that so interesting that it's up to the audience to piece it together and it's very rarely Peter Parker's M.O. to figure it out. What do you think about that?
2: No, it's very interesting. And again, it's kind of reflective, again, as as to what has always made Spider-Man unique as a character. Because again, like in the in the audience, it's always about who is the mass menace. But like outside of the Green Goblin, the other, you know, Spider-Man's rogues gallery isn't sitting there being like, you know, who is this guy? They're just trying to do their thing. And they get ticked off when spider-man interferes you know what i mean it's it's the audience that watches spider-man do do his work uh within the comic that wants to know who he is and is intrigued by the mystery of it so again it kind of plays off of that angle a bit
0: yeah i was just trying to think like of any instance where these masked characters pop up and spider-man does like proactive work to figure out who they are he's mostly just reacting to them at any given time. So it's like, it's weird that this mystery element has so taken over Spider-Man, but still remains almost like a B-level plot within the book, even though it's like one of the biggest draws to this title, uh, which I guess we should talk about how much mystery is a draw to reading a Spider-Man comic.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, Dan, I mean, this, this storyline, I mean, in addition to – I mean, I do feel even if the ultimate reveal was maybe without the power of hindsight, wasn't, like, the most brilliant reveal ever, I still feel like this is, like, a well-done, slow-burn story, like, like well-executed, right? Yeah. Um, like, I mean, they certainly just kind of – bring you along far enough to keep you guessing but not you know not without really getting frustrating about it um but um
0: it only lasted like two years well i mean i guess it seems like forever now right right could you imagine if the man in red thing lasted two years
2: right (laughs) um but at the same time like this yeah like i mean you mentioned one the man in red i mean this 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 template has been reused so many times in spider-man like like and far more than i mean you mentioned you talk about hush and batman but like I, i can't think of any other hero that i mean not even talking one mystery villain but so many of these mystery villains i mean like you know maybe every hero's got at least one or two of these stories but like you know We were kind of going back and forth over text message to about, you know, to make sure we covered them all. And then we were even kind of saying, well, does this one count or does that one count? And, (laughs) um, you know, there's, there's, there's something to be said for that. Um, but like, you know, off the top of my head, in terms of like characters and storylines that I feel truly were reflective of the Green Goblin mystery. So like these were villains that were introduced. First, without any kind of um, clue or semblance of who it might be, and and trying to figure out who exactly they were was a big part of a of a of the story's game. You know, like so, um, who was the who was behind the mask or behind a certain thing? Uh, so there was the third Green Goblin, which ended up being um, the the psychiatrist uh, Bart Bart. Is it? Finkel, Fink, whatever Bart, something Bart or other, Fink.
0: Right? Is that what you're thinking of?
2: Yeah, yeah, like,
0: <laughs> Bart <laughs> Hamilton.
2: Um, Bart Hamilton, thank you. And then, of course, the 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 more famous one was the Hobgoblin. But even before that, like going back into, I, I, I skipped a big one here, Dan. Like the probably the first long running mystery um, that followed on the heels of the Green Goblin one was who was the Jackal, and Jerry Conway who created the character. I mean, he he even cited the Green Goblin and the Crime Master stories as as his inspiration. He thought it was really cool that Spider-Man in the Dick Lee years had this like mystery villain angle and he wanted to do his own version of it. So uh you know, it would make sense that, you know, Jackal was introduced in um Amazing Spider-Man number one twenty nine and you know he kind of started out as being the guy behind other villains that were appearing like the punisher the 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 famous grizzly um one of the greatest villains of all time probably (laughs) um sorry jerry uh (laughs) um before eventually it was revealed and again it was like a character that we knew about and was from peter's past but like miles warren you're kind of like at the time like Oh, yeah, I think I remember him showing up once or twice, right? I mean, like, (laughs) didn't really think he was a villain. He just kind of was like, who was that guy? Um, So, you know, we had that. But then, of course, then there was Green Goblin 3, the Hobgoblin, which I, I, you know, I'll save that for season four or five or whatever ends up being my obsession with the Hobgoblin. Um,
0: That will be a whole season. (laughs)
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: prepare your bodies
2: everyone exactly the how many how many seasons can we get um and then kind of even jumping around more like into the 90s we had who was kane um which i actually think ended up being a pretty well executed villain mystery despite the fact that like the characters' like subtext was basically put on the page all the time, much to Howard Mackey and Terry Kavanagh's <laughs> chagrin. <laughs> we need a character that's tormented by pain, so we're gonna write. So some editor's gonna write on the first splash page: "I am tormented by pain. <laughs> I am Cain." <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, there was um, oh, the Rose during the same period as Hobgoblin. There was. Uh, in the Brand New Day era, there was a ton of mysteries. <laughs> there's, yeah. like, there's the Spider Tracer mysteries, who was Jackpot, who was Menace. <laughs> there's the Goblin King, of course, from the Superior Spider-Man era. There is the Man of Red from the Clone Conspiracy. Although, Man of Red is a tricky one because you and I even talked about this while that story was unfolding. Where, where I, At one point, I even started arguing. I'm like, is this actually a mystery because – I don't feel like this being, it's being treated in a mystery the way that like the Goblin King was, you know, where like we kept getting like these check ins and the character was either in shadow or without his mask, but we couldn't see who he was. I mean, they were kind of like trying to like, Oh, it's just a jackal with a new hairdo, you know, (laughs) he's, he's got a new mask now. Um, but, but is there any other big ones that I'm, I'm not thinking of here?
0: Well, um, you know, I was thinking of the Rose, uh, you know, alongside the Hobgoblin story. There's also the Sin Eater. I don't know if he necessarily had a huge mystery behind him, but certainly an intriguing fellow that showed up. And then my favorite mystery of all is Facade, or or F-A-C-A-D-E, if you want to spell it out like they do in the books. Um, that was never actually revealed um, due to whatever story you want to you want to hear about it. You know I remember as a kid uh, picking up those facade issues and really loving them and feeling like I missed an issue somewhere because it was never revealed and it just for for like a decade, I felt like I had missed some special king sized issue where it was revealed. At only to find out, like, in, I, I relatively recently, when Dan Slot was making fun of Facade, that, uh, oh, it was never actually revealed. So I felt like this great stress off my back and subsequent <laughs> frustration that I had invested so much of my young energy into my disappointment in the Facade <laughs> mystery.
2: <laughs> it's okay, Dan. If you need a hug, I understand. All right. Thank you, Mark. And all of these, in their own way, I would say, borrowed liberally from the Dicko Lee Green Goblin story. Right? I mean, there. They, I mean, some lasted longer than others. I mean, certainly like the Hobgoblin and and probably the Jackal and the Goblin King and Menace. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those are by and large the most significant borrowers. I would say from the storyline. Right.
0: Yeah. Do you have a favorite one that you actually like? I mean, I know you love the Hobgoblin, but do you have a favorite one that you feel like it was handled the best, like, of all these mysteries?
2: Well, that's an interesting question, Dan, because it's like, you know, and again, I know you don't want to, like, dwell on who was ultimately revealed as the Green Goblin, because we've both talked about it and also others have talked about it to death, but, you know, in setting the template for this story of who is the villain, it could be anybody, it ends up being anyone. I mean, it's like very few of these stories that have followed the footstep have really truly been a reveal where you're like, holy crap, what a great reveal, right? I mean, it's just kind of like, there's always just kind of like a, oh, element to it. (laughs) Um, So no, I don't know if I have a favorite. I mean, the Hobgoblin I love talking about just because of, how the politics behind it just made it such a bizarre story, but not because I thought that the review, I mean, the Ned Leeds reveal was kind of dumb and obvious in a weird way. And then like the fact that they had to like redo it. I mean, Roder Kingsley made more sense because it's what Stern wanted to do, but it wasn't like, uh, again, it was kind of like, Oh, Roder Kingsley, that guy, you know, like
0: I'm guessing that you're loving, maybe you didn't even see this, the solicit in spectacular, that suggests that Ned Leeds is coming back and that there might be some twist surrounding Ned Leeds' death not being his actual death. Did you see this yet?
2: I have not seen the solicits. Oh, that should be interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing Spider-Man, the next annual, is going to be all about this.
2: Oh, Uh, boy. So
0: there you go, Mark. Uh, Annuals may be counting again. Uh, I have a favorite.
2: What's your favorite?
0: I think the best handle of all of them, even over Green Goblin, has to be Menace. Uh, I think it's a genuinely compelling mystery, how it's tied into this election. And the reveal I found really satisfying. It both made sense and, uh, you know, had a pretty dramatic, you know, like effect on our supporting cast in a way that Harry... You know, the the reveal that Norman, Harry's father, was the Green Goblin did. You know, now we've got Harry's fiancé and all the implications that, you know, that carries with it, including for the election. Um, I just felt like they planned this one out well. There was good teases throughout. And yet you never really felt like you knew for sure who it was, which often is the case for these things. They, like, introduce a new character and you're like... Well, it has to be that new character that was introduced at the beginning of the story. But I don't think any of us truly ever could say for certain that Menace was going to be Lily Hollister.
2: Yeah, no, it was good. I mean, I I definitely agree with that. It was well handled. I mean, I think some of the stuff they did with the character post-reveal was a little icky and weird. So that kind of did a little bit. I
0: agree with that.
2: Um. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the actual mystery itself was was well handled. I mean, you know, this might sound crazy, but, like, I mean, of the other ones that we mentioned, I really like how Kane was revealed. I felt that there was, you know, it, it tied into this crazy story in a, in a logical way, as logical as the Clone Saga could ever be. And, you know, the char- as the character is being revealed, he also gets a moment of redemption which I thought was well done. So, I'm going to I'm going to throw my hat in on that one.
0: So, of the um, you know, Spider-Man storytelling tropes uh, which we discussed in an earlier episode, where does the mystery like fall for you? Is that one of your favorite things to read in the pages of Spider-Man?
2: <sighs> yes and no. I mean, it, it's so familiar and like it's kind of like up oh, here we go again. Here it's going to be another mystery. Let's. I wonder who it's going to be this time. But the same token, because so many of these reveals are kind of not botched, but just kind of eh. Like it also feels a little. It, it could be a little tiring. But yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't mean to, kind of be a letdown with that, Dan. It's just. But I mean, what, I mean, what about you? Is I mean, do you think is this like something that you look forward to, or do you kind of? I mean. The fact that when we were discussing Man in Red that I was, like, ready to, like, concede. This is not a mystery. They wouldn't do another mystery. They just did a mystery. You know what I mean? Like.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think Man in Red was kind of tiring, especially because of how it was handled. But I I think back to the superior Spider-Man days and the Goblin King and the fun we had speculating about that. I, I have to admit, I find the mysteries really fun to kind of, like. It's almost like a test of my Spider-Man knowledge and how much I can kind of figure out the writer based on, you know, all of my reading through the years. Um The reveals very rarely live up to the mystery, which is, I think, why I like the Menace one so much, because I felt like it kind of did, even if subsequently they messed up the character. I, I have to admit, I like it. It's like a pop quiz on my Spider-Man knowledge in some way. Can I place it together based on the clues I'm given? Um, But they do get tiring. They need to be, like, paced appropriately. And you do need to have some kind of confidence in the writer. You know what I mean? Like, after the botch of the Goblin King, like, it was hard to give a lot of credit to Dan Slott that he might pull it off again with the Man in Red. I think if the Goblin King hadn't been so botched, we would have been a lot more excited about the Man in Red... Story Because we'd be like, oh, you know, like, this is one of these. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited by them, but I have grown wary uh, of them. Because, I mean, I'd say nine out of ten times they're botched. <laughs> Even the best yeah. ones are botched. Like, the mystery of the Hobgoblin is probably the most fun thing to read in Spider-Man comics. Like, the, 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 the issue to issue, who is this guy is a blast to read. Um, and we've gotten a decent reveal in the subsequent years, but, you know, it's like, it's almost more fun to get that tease than, you know, to get the ending. It's like when a movie comes out, you know, a trailer's released and you're so excited for the movie and the movie ends up being disappointing. you almost don't feel that bad because you're like, I got to have fun, you know, speculating about what this movie could be. You know, before it came out.
2: So, is that how you feel about Force Awakens? Ultimately, <laughs> it was a fun to, to to dream about it.
0: No, not really. So maybe no. maybe I'm maybe I'm lying. But I, <laughs> but I'm 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 all hyped all over again for the Last Jedi. So I'm a, I'm an eternal sucker, is what what I'm gonna say.
2: <laughs> Excellent. Well, we 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 can have our movie debate another time. Anything else about the mystery you want to hit upon before we? Transition out?
0: Do you think these mysteries um, uh, like, are used – I mean I, I think they are largely used for this. But like how do you think these mysteries have impacted the legacy of some of these characters? Like do you think that it artificially inflates the value of characters over others in the in the Spider-Man uh, enemies roster?
2: I mean I don't know if you would say artificially but like I y- – you, you do have to treat – A lot of these villains that are introduced via a mystery, that there's more of a special attraction quality to them. I mean, you know, again, we we talk about how much we love the hobgoblin mystery in the beginning, and and, you know, on on its face, the hobgoblin is just, you know, a, a knockoff of the green goblin. But because of the special attraction quality to how the character was woven into the story, he instantly got elevated and i think that's that's appropriate you know like if you're gonna kind of do build a mystery and really put effort into creating this aura to a character the character should, should be elevated as a result i feel like you know the jackal is kind of one of a small handful of villains from kind of like the post silver age to stand the test of time probably because of the mystery attached to the character when it, when he first came forward, you know, like.
0: It certainly wasn't the costume.
2: No. Sorry. Sorry, Ross, Andrew, and Jerry. Yeah, I mean, there's probably some characters here where you're kind of like, you know, would they even matter at all if like there was not mis- we're
0: still thinking about facade.
2: Right. We're still thinking of facade or like, even like the rose. It's kind of like, you know, the rose was more or less a way for. Defalco and and friends to not completely blow off Roger Stern's vision for the Hobgoblin, but to still, you know, to still be able to like go in their own direction. Because I mean, the whole thing with the Rose was it was supposed to be Roderick Kingsley, and uh, the Hobgoblin was going to be revealed as um, Richard Fisk, Kingpin's son, and instead it was well it wasn't the completely the other way around but you know it was roger kingsley was going to be the hobgoblin at, at the end of the day um so but yeah i mean what i mean do you disagree with that i mean do you feel that some of these other characters i mean i you know I'm, I'm, I'm gonna always feel a little more intrigued by a mystery villain than like another appearance by electro or sandman
0: yeah i i totally agree i mean like i said i have fun with these you know and uh you think about, like, what they actually did. Like, what did the Rose ever do to Spider-Man? Were they ever really in the same room with each other? Like, outside of a handful of times? Right, um, and right. yet, And yet, we really like the Rose. Uh, but his impact was minimal. It's the mystery. That's the fun of them, is the mystery.
2: Absolutely.
0: And also, mysteries are perfect for s- sequential comics. I mean, you have to sustain something. Why not have that sustainable thing be a mystery?
2: Yeah, definitely, and and the way the these stories always seem to be, you know, spaced out, you you know, you might miss like a mini arc within the arc, but you could always catch back up again.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, Dan, and and to all of you out there, thanks for joining us for our eleventh episode of our first season of the all new Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, Dan, our next and last episode of the season will be in two weeks, December fifteenth. That's also when The Last Jedi is coming out, Dan. Whoa! Like, are you even going to be able to record for this, or are you going to be camping out getting your tickets?
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I already have my tickets, so luckily uh, it will be saved. But our listeners will have to make the hardest decision of their lives. Do they listen to our show or go see The Last Jedi? Or just listen to our show in the line for Last Jedi?
2: Yeah, I was going to say why not both. There you Yay! go. There you go. But anyway, what what's going to be the, the title of that show, Dan?
0: Yeah, um, you know, going going back to uh Stephen Colbert. Uh the next the next episode of our show is going to be called Best Run Ever or Greatest Run Ever. Yes, we're going to be go- going back to discuss whether or not the Lee Dicko run is the best run in comics ever. Which I I think it might be. Uh, And even better, we'd love to host your feedback on the show. So uh, we want to know, what did you think about this season of our show? What did you learn about the Lee Dicko run? And and what are some of the reflections you've had? And do you think this is the best run of comics? And why or why not? So uh, shoot us an email at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail dot com, or call us on telephone with our hotline, which we haven't said in quite a while. Mark, it's nine red goblin. Yes, dial nine red goblin and leave us a message on the answering machine to play on the show. Again, you can email us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail dot com or telephone us at nine red goblin by December the tw- let's say the December the eleventh. Uh, and we'll feature it on the show. And don't forget to tell us your name and where you're writing or calling from so that we know who and where you are. And, uh, yeah, it'll be on the show. We're going to do those again. So, uh, yeah, let us know what you think.
2: Also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed for this week's bonus episode. Last week, Dan, you and I, we reviewed Amazing Spider-Man number 790, and spectacular Spider-Man number six, where Peter made a stunning revelation that will likely forever change his relationship with one of his most important supporting characters. So this time, uh, we're going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man number 791 as Peter starts his first day back at the Daily Bugle as their science editor. And, uh, remember everyone, just for $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic. You will get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Swarm B-book reviews, mailbags, and more during the off weeks in between our regular episodes. And for $10 or more a month, you'll be sent exclusive commission artwork in the mail every six months. What's better than that, Dan? And by the way, Dan, where can we find you on the social media?
0: All right. Yeah, you can find me on social media on Twitter at SupSpiderTalk.com. Uh, also, don't forget to check out our Facebook pages and discussion groups by searching for Amazing Spider Talk on Facebook. There's a lot of awesome conversations going on there. I actually recently just found what I'm calling the first official in-canon reference to Papa Jonah. What do you think about that, Mark?
2: Yeah, I like that a lot. I, I, I gave many, many thumbs up in your menchies on that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be from unbeatable squirrel girl number 20. Papa Jonah is name-checked, and uh, Mark, I'm just going to say it, uh, Ryan North definitely wrote that in there because of us. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I have no evidence of that, no evidence of that, but it would be really funny if he did.
2: Well, our reviews have ended up on the back of a couple of trade paperbacks, so you never know.
0: You do never know. What about you, Mark? Uh, Other than those trade paperbacks, where might we find uh, you on the internet this week?
2: Well, um you can always find me on Twitter at Chasing blog and you know, find me when I do get the urge to write on chasingamazingblog blog and superior spiderman dot com superior spider talk, excuse me, dot com. I misnamed our site, Dan. Terrible Terrible. Uh and of course, you can continue to order your book, A Hundred Things Spider Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. There was actually a Cyber Monday deal on it on Amazon. I don't know. How much I should be promoting that because I think from a royalty standpoint, I get a smaller cut of sales, but uh, it was – they were practically giving it away, Dan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to uh, mention again because oh, we've forgotten to plug it, the Ultimate Spin podcast, our Brother, sisters show all about uh, Miles Morales and Spider Gwen Stacy. I've been making a lot of appearances on that show covering Spider Man 2 and the, the huge disappointment that that is that book. Um, nice. And also talking uh, about Bendis' departure from Marvel, which is a big piece of news that Mark and I really haven't discussed. But you can find out my opinion um, on it there um, in that podcast. So I highly recommend The Ultimate Spin for uh, all your Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen needs. Mark, I, I sense that you are also disliking Spider-Man too.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I have been kind of sitting on the fourth issue uh, for over a month, obviously, because the fifth issue just came out, right, on Wednesday? Or Yeah, like a couple um, but... weeks ago. <laughs> a couple. Oh, no, of no, no, the
0: fourth issue came out the fifth one's like delayed i think
2: oh i thought i thought i saw it in somebody well whatever point being <laughs> i finally read it today like on the subway and i just like i'm like what the hell is the story even about i don't care <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah it's pretty like bad it's just
2: Like, it's really – and, you know, I do hope, Dan, in all seriousness, you and I can have the Bendis talk at some point in the near future either as a Patreon or whatever. But, like, you know, it's like – it's really leaving such a bitter taste in my mouth about Bendis and his legacy on this character or, you know, both characters I guess you could say. And and that's disappointing because, like, you know – if you would have told me ten years ago, oh my God, Bendis left Marvel for DC, I would have been like, oh my God, it's horrible for for Marvel, and it's horrible for Spider Man, you know, like and and like, you know, the the Coens, the the fact that this news is happening as this series is coming, I'm just like, all right, man, see you later. <laughs> like, <laughs> if this is the best we got, like this story that all these years in the making, like, and I, I, I mean, you know how every preview page is Peter saying, oh, my God, on the Internet. And I'm still like, what's the oh, my
0: God? (laughs) (laughs) What is the oh, my God? Well, speaking (laughs) of Peter going, oh, my God, he said that at a very specific moment when he heard that his Uncle Ben was dead. But we also learned a, a very important lesson, Mark, and that lesson is
2: That lesson is sure with a Master of Transitions, Dan. And with great podcasts, must also come the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk.